So the great theologian, uh, Harry Potter, uh, <laughs> so he, <laughs> he was experiencing life in the order of the, of the phoenix, of just this elevated level of, of battling his enemy, Voldemort. Um, and so Voldemort was this great enemy that could actually get into his thoughts, get into his mind, read his thoughts, and then corrupt them, kind of turn them. And so this is a battle for his life, and he says the wrong thing. He feels that he can do better by himself. I just need to do this by myself. I'm the only one who can do it. I'm the only one who can fight this battle in my, in my own life because it's in my mind. It's in my perspective. And basically he's spent the entire, like, you know, the, you know, the first few movies kind of gradually isolating himself, pushing him away. He's like, I got to do this alone. I feel alone. Well, good job, Harry Potter. Of course you feel alone. You've made yourself alone. And there's a, 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 late, a character, a friend of his, Luna Lovegood, kind of, but she says something profound. Probably my favorite line of all of Harry Potter says this. Well, if I were you, you know who, Voldemort, I'd want you to feel cut off from everyone else because if it's just you alone, you're not as much of a threat. Our enemy, the one that we were just proclaiming, ain't no devil going to tread on me. Get on out of here. Get up and leave. Ain't no devil going to tread on me. That enemy is real. We have a very real and powerful enemy that wants to deceive, that wants to shift your thoughts, wants to ruin your life. And how does he do that? By making you feel like you have to do it all by yourself. Cut off, alone, isolated, by yourself. It's only you. It's only your problems, and you've got to handle them yourself. We feel the same way. And to be okay with it. To be okay with it just being myself. And being resigned to this as a reality. I can't trust anyone. I can't let my, my walls down. I can't let anyone else in. I've got to fight this enemy by myself. I've got to do this life by myself. I've got to fight all the enemies of the world by myself. I'll just get through it. And that's just reality. It's just the way life is. And here's my favorite two words in the Bible. But God... But God wants to live a life in alignment with you. He wants us to live in a life of, of alignment with him. He wants to live this life where we are with him and know him and are fighting with him. And he is fighting through us. Not like fighting with him is like, you know, like we're, we're fighting God. I'm saying fighting the battles with God. There's this book that I'm reading, uh, that we read for our uh, LLC, this pastor's meeting that I'm part of. And he talks about uh, digging ditches and how, you know, you know, we dig ditches because we want to, you know, his, his realm is, is we're digging ditches to flow the living water of God into our pastures and save save up and to store up God's living waters in our lives. And so we're digging ditches. But we're not just digging ditches for God, for him to do this work in our lives. He's the one digging the ditch and he's inviting us into the process of digging the ditch with him so that we may store up the living waters of his Holy Spirit in our lives. Letting his Holy Spirit flow into areas of our lives that maybe have been dry through spiritual disciplines. And so we want, we want to, so our, our sermon this morning is living a life in alignment with Jesus, but more specifically, living a life of intimacy with Jesus. And that's what we're talking about this, this morning. Living a life in intimacy with Jesus. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 3. 
And we're going to be in verse, verses 1 through 20 here this morning. I'll be reading from the CSB uh, translation, with this, which is the Christian Standard Bible. So this is, going to, is becoming our, our main Bible. So if you want to pick up a, a CSB, they're pretty, pretty cheap on, online. Um, but so if you want to pick one up, this is what we're going to be reading from. Um, so this is uh, Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 20. <clears throat> In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, while Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the vicinity of the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path, paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight, the rough ways smooth, and everyone will see the salvation of God. He then said to the crowds who came, came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, produce fruit, fruit consistent with repentance. And don't, don't, don't start saying to yourselves, you know, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that God himself is able to raise up children for Abraham from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What then should we do? The crowds were asking him. He replied to them, The one who has two shirts must share with someone who has none. And the one who has food must do the same. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And they asked him, Well, teacher, what shall we do? He told them, Don't collect any more than what you have been authorized. Some soldiers also questioned him, Well, what shall we do? He said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or false accusation. And be satisfied with your wages. Now, the people were waiting expectantly, and all of them were questioning in their hearts whether John might be the Messiah. John answered them. He's like, no, I'm not, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I am is coming. And I'm not even worthy to unstrap this, you know, untie the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing shovel is in his hand to, is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But the chaff he will burn with fire that never goes out. Then along with many exhortations, and he proclaimed the good news to the people. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, the wrong person, because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the evil things he had done, Herod added this to everything else. He locked up John in prison. So he does a, a very careful work here at the beginning of, of identifying this place in history. Oh, I forgot to have a stand to read the Bible. Darn it. Next week, I'll have to remember. He, he does a very careful work to make sure that he places this story of, of John into a historical year, a historical marker with all these things. And of course, all of these people have these you know, different stories behind them. Like, so Ti- like Ti- Tiberius Caesar, he's the next Caesar after Augustus, who was the very first Caesar in the Roman Empire of the, of the monarchy, the empireship. Um, but then we see here Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, this was a, a very interesting time um, in the life of the Roman Empire, in, in Israel specifically. This was the first time that the Roman Empire, in about four or 500 years, had put a governor in Jerusalem had put a governor into Israel itself to keep them under, under the hand of, of Rome. And so this was an even further encroaching upon their rights and their nation of Israel. And so uh, there's, there's all sorts of different things packed into there, but it's not the point of the scripture. Um, <laughs> so I'm going to move on to, you know, toward it. But one thing that we have to recognize is that there is a, this growing kind of geopolitic, geo, geopolitical environment of, of anxiety and anger and strife and malice 
and, and, and fighting and animosity between Israel and the Roman Empire. And even Israel, within Israel, we talked about a couple weeks ago, this all these, this religious unrest, corruption within the religious system, you know, even, even in the, amidst the most devout of, of Israel. I mean, Israel, you know, the Jewish people couldn't agree on theology. They couldn't agree on, on, on life with God. They couldn't agree on worship. Man, we can't associate to that at all, can we? You know, play the wrong song. I'm out. You know, take communion the wrong way. I'm out. So sensitive <laughs> oftentimes. And so we, we can identify with their culture. And so there's, but there's this, this, you know, that, the division within Israel added to the animosity as a, as a nation under Rome, under the wrong political party, according to Israel, Israel, there's this growing tension within Israel, growing tension within the people of God, within the nation, ready to explode, come to a head and pull a yellow stone and just explode into a mass explosion of destruction. And so this is, as, as John even said, a voice crying out in the wilderness. He is preparing the way of the Messiah. Now, again, as you probably have heard this several times over and over again, beating a, you know, a dead horse, all the Israelites kept thinking that the Messiah was going to be this great political military leader. And so they had this assumption behind that. God will deliver us politically. God will deliver us to the right political system. God will deliver us by sending us the right political figure, military figure, to free us from our slavery to this other political figure or other political party. I tell you what, politics has become the new religion in our country. There was a statistic that just came out that I heard that people would rather someone disagree with them and, and leave religion in their family than to be from the wrong political party in their own family. People are more likely to ostracize and kick people out of their families because they're of the opposing um, political party than they are disagreeing about religion nowadays. Politics has become the new religion, just like politics was the religion of Israel. But what is the Messiah? Who is Jesus. What kind of Messiah is he? He's a suffering servant on a cross. He's a, he's a suffering servant that says, give up your life. Don't think about yourself over others. Think about others. Be kind, be gracious. But they were looking more like, looking towards someone more like a Judas Maccabeus that would raise up this great political revolt against the Romans so that they could be a country again. They kept waiting in vain for the wrong Messiah. And so I want us to be clear about that. What Messiah are we waiting for? What kind of Messiah? If we were to hear these words today, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be made low. The crooked will become straight. The rough way is smooth for everyone will see the salvation of God. What kind of world are we looking for? What kind of Messiah are we looking for? Now, in this passage, we see the, you know this great. He's you know so John is kind of gathering in with the in the realm of these prophets like the Old Testament. He's joining the ranks with guys like Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah. He's joining these ranks of these of these powerful prophets. And his first words in all of the Scripture are what? You brood of vipers! I'm so glad that those weren't my first words here. <laughs> Those are his first words. Now, a little bit of uh, um, background about this phrase. Um, he's not just saying you, you know, household of snakes, 
comparing them to Satan. There is a little bit of that element to it. This is an expletive. He's cursing them out in, in Aramaic. He, but who else uses this word, this phrase? Jesus. Now, there's this, it's multi-textured in, in the meaning of this. And so um, it's mainly, it's, it's saying you are living out of alignment with God. You, you are, you know, this is an indictment to his listeners. You are people in Satan's grip. You are his children with his nature. More like attuned to our, you son of a, you know. That's what it's meaning. You know, for us, that word in, you know, means female dogs in our, what we would say in our language, which is a degradation. He's saying it's an indictment against his listeners. You, know, you little, that's what he's saying. He's degrading them. He's, he is indicting them. But what is his message? Well, what is his message to them? He, he uses very shocking language for a reason. So I was, you know, I, I was, you know, tell my kids, there's no such thing as bad words or curse words. There are strong words that have a, a very specific place. And you don't use it every other word, like a lot of people do. Like you guys know on construction sites, you know, you know the guys are just like every other word out of, the, out of their mouth is F this and S that and, you know, D this and, you know. <laughs> but what is this? You know, he shocks them. Why? Because he's saying, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Okay, so there's coming wrath. There's coming condemnation and judgment. But he's saying, therefore produce fruit consistent with repentance. Because what, what is he talking about? He's, he's, he's illustrating this baptism of repentance. Now, we're going to go a little bit deeper into these words. Because this is, this is where I want to sit. This is really where I feel like the meaning of this passage is this morning. So, he's calling them a brood of vipers. And he's calling them to be baptized. You know, this baptism, the, 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 baptism of repentance. So, we're going to break down these two words. So, baptism. What is baptism? It's literally the word for baptism, baptizo means to fully immerse or dunk in water. So this would be John the dunker. You know, kind of a fun word of why we have the word baptism. So back when it was first translated, uh, there was, it was you know, King, King James, King James Bible, um, was sprinkled when he was baptized. And so the guy translating the Bible um, was, came to this word and he said, okay, this means to dunk, but if I say dunk in our culture, that means that the king's baptism is invalid. Therefore, he's not a Christian and I don't want to lose my head. Um, <clears throat> so we'll just say baptism. We're just going to transliterate it, save everyone's skin. It's kind of this, you know, so it kind of created a word, just basically just trans, you know, transliterated the Greek word baptizo to baptize or baptism. But it simply means a dunking, an immersion of repentance. But we'll get to that word in here in a second. Now, this concept of baptism. Let's talk about that. Talk about baptism. So baptism actually has some his, you know, historical background in the Jewish culture. Um, so they would have a big pool in the temple where if you were a, a, non, a non-Jew, non-Jewish person, you're a Greek, you know, you're a Roman, whatever, outside, you know, Persian, but you wanted to join God's people. You wanted to join the nation of Israel and come underneath the covenant of God, worship in the temple and offer sacrifices you could come to the temple and pledge your allegiance to God and be baptized. They had a baptism pool there and you would be immersed. You'd be dunked and baptized because this was for them. This was basically a washing of your uncleanliness of being a Gentile away from you. You know, like whenever, you know, Jews would go through a, you know, a Gentile land, they would shake the dust off to their, off their feet to rid themselves of the, of the filth of Gentiles. And so this was a ceremonial washing away of their uncleanliness and joining the people of God, joining God's nation, becoming what the Bible and history would call a God-fearer. You see here these, this word repeated throughout Scripture, a God-fearer. And so this was, um, there was also a practice in this town, so Qumran. So Qumran was a, a city or it was, it was a, a village out by the Dead Sea. And this village of Qumran uh, was where this, this people, this religious sect called the Essenes lived. 
And they were very devout. They, they believed that the, the, the temple and the pharisaical system and the zealots, that all of the religious system was corrupt. So they were going to do it best. Like they were going to isolate themselves and worship the Lord and translate his scriptures, copy them. And so all the scrolls throughout Israel at that point were copied and made by the Essenes. And they had a very you know, Hasidic lifestyle, very devout, very strict. Um, and even before they would even touch a scroll that they would be made into the Bible, made into Isaiah, they would go into these big pools and go down and immerse themselves. They would baptize themselves. They would dunk themselves in the water and come out and cleanse themselves. Because for the, for the Jewish mind in antiquity, they didn't view the human person as four separate things, you know, body, mind, heart, or emotions, and spirit. They saw the whole person, all four of these things, body, mind, heart, and soul, as one whole thing. So to cleanse the body was to cleanse the mind and the heart and the spirit. Cleanse their conscience. And so they felt that they needed to clean themselves and cleanse themselves of everything so that they could even handle the word of God. And you know who was a part of this this community? John. John, the guy that we're reading right now about. John the baptizer, John the dunker, was a part of this community. But he, that's why I said, you know, in the, uh, talked about, uh, I think we talked about that uh, at the very beginning. Yeah, the very beginning here. Um, Verse three, sorry, verse two. God's word this, this word, is, it's not logos, as like a you know, spoken word. This is actually the word for the, of rhema. This is also the word translated as spirit. God's spirit, God's words, you know, his spirit word came to John, the son of Zechariah, where? In the wilderness, in Qumran. Because it was desert. And that's what the wilderness is, is the desert down by the Dead Sea, down south of, southeast of Jerusalem. And so he brought this concept of baptism, of cleansing the conscience. Because like the Bible, like the Pharisees even even indict Jesus, only God can truly forgive sins. But there's, so this this baptism of of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, it's their cleansing, cleansing of their conscience before God worshiping God and getting them to have this, this devout life like the, like the Essenes did. He was kind of a, would be kind of a missionary evangelist for the Qumran community, for the Essenes in this picture here. And so he brought this practice of baptism, full immersion to the forefront. And so Jesus would later adopt this as his main custom for us, you know, for Christians, for saints becoming saints, for Gentiles becoming saints, for people claiming faith in Jesus Christ. It's the outward symbol of the inward change, a proclamation. Oh, and we talked about the, the Jewish temple proselytes. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me. And so let's talk about the second word, metanoia. So the word often translated as repentance. We, I know we've talked about this before, but I want to re- revisit this to make sure that we have a true understanding. So metanoia is made up of two words, meta, meaning change, shift, transformation, meta, and noia, which noieo in the Greek means your mind, or your thinking, your logic, which guides your life, which guides your behavior, which guides what you do, how you think, what you say. And so this literally means change your mind, shift your thinking. That's what metanoia means. Uh, now, there's also kind of this, this, this uh, picture of this. And so the, let me kind of explain this. So there's a, a Greek translation of the Old Testament, because the Old Testament was originally written in Hebrew. There's a Greek translation called the Septuagint. Now, Malachi, Malachi 3, 7 uses the, the same. So the Greek word, that, the phrase that they use for repent has more of a connotation of return to God. So change your mind, return, come back into alignment with God. Come into alignment with him. What God is thinking, you need to change your mind to think what he thinks, to to worship his way, to worship him instead of your pagan gods. And so this is coming into alignment with God. You know, as we talk about, you know, Isaiah 40, this is the whole you know, concept so the, of this prophecy. 
You know, the one in the, in the wilderness, you know, crying out in the wilderness, right? So this is the, the foundation of this prophecy. It is laying the way, preparing the way for preparing for, you know, clearing the path for God to return to his people so that his people can return to God. And so, you know, to usher in his new kingdom. <clears throat> so changed mind, you know, change your mind. And what does a changed mind lead to? A changed mind, a changed thinking, a changed logic and understanding and belief leads to a changed life. Which brings us to that word alignment. You know, baptism, it's this aligning yourself with God, proclaiming this. You know, this is the basis of, of you, know, seven, you know, seven through 20. So like everything that's talking about, you know, brood of vipers and, you know, we have Abraham as our father and, you know, produce fruit that, you know, in line, in line with what? Metanoia. Uh, and then he talks about these different, different illustrations. He talks about, you know, to the, you know, he says, you know, the one who has two shirts and food, you know, must, must share with the one who has none. You know, tax collectors don't collect this, you know, too, too much. And the soldiers and, you know, all sorts of things. Um, and so he's basically, you know, kind of paving that way. Change your mind. He's making a way, you know, preparing the way for the Messiah who will say statements like, you have heard it said, but change your mind. Think this way instead. So baptism is this being you know, baptized into this. You're being aligned with God. But what does alignment do? There, there's a great figure. Of course, I'm, thank you for the shirt, Steve. It's, it's so true. I speak in movie quotes all the time. The great theologian, Han Solo. Yeah. So Han Solo, it seems like every other, every other you know, time he tries to jump to light speed, he's like, nothing. It's broken. It's out of alignment. And then all of a sudden, R two D two has to come to the rescue, or that he has to, you know, hit the the you know the, the panel above him, and then you know, and it comes back into alignment. And what happens when he gets back into alignment? Pew! Off to light speed, power engaged, boom! Right? Escape. Oftentimes, they're trying to escape. So alignment with God is where we come into the power of God. We come into alignment. And God's power flows through us powerfully. It's like light speed in our lives and in our faith. What does this look like? So let's, let's look at uh, Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Past it. And we're going to start, in, we're going to be in uh, 37 through 41. Just want to read that real quick. <clears throat> it said, so Peter just got done, you know, preaching this whole sermon in the very, and it's just this whole story of the Old Testament and how Jesus fits into everything, every single po- you know, portion. So you killed the Messiah. Now, therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He proclaimed the gospel. This is the first powerful proclamation of the gospel in, in Acts chapter 2 here after Jesus has ascended. And here's what he says. I'm sorry, or here's, what it, here's what it says. When they heard this, when they heard the gospel, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, oh, brothers, what should we do? And Peter replied, repent, metanoia, change your mind, change your thinking, come into alignment with God and what? Be baptized, be dunked, be immersed. Follow the practice of John now on display in Jesus representing the giving and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. What does it say? Each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and what? You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So not only are you changing your mind, you're repenting and receiving the forgiveness of your sins in the name of Jesus, but you'll now live in and walk in the fulfillment of Joel 2, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. So you're being immersed in water and immersed in the Holy Spirit. That is the truth of the experience of the gospel. We say, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. 
And with many other words, he testified and strongly urged them saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. So those who accepted his message were dunked, immersed in water and Holy Spirit. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. So baptism, immersed into Christ, into his Holy Spirit, and living, living in the new life with him. This is what baptism and you know, being aligned with God brings. He brings baptism, being immersed in Christ and the Holy Spirit, and it brings new life. Romans 4, 6 says, Therefore we were buried with him, immersed, dunked with him by a dunking into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in the newness of life. Colossians 2, 2 says, I'm sorry, 12, 12 through 15, um, <clears throat> says this, when you were buried with him in baptism, in which we were, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead and I'm sorry, and when you were dead in trespass and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he, Jesus, made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us. And he has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. Don't miss that. The record of debt wasn't just all of your former sins. It was the entire record of debt. It was even the sheet of paper itself that could carry more debt. And that piece of paper that represented all of your debt and all of your trespasses for your entire life and existence was nailed to the cross. Nailed to the cross. nailed to the cross and canceled. That's the kind of cancel culture I could live in. We should live in a cancel culture in, 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 in the church. The cancellation of your sin, the cancellation of your guilt, the cancellation of your shame, the cancellation of your doubt. Those are the kinds of cancellations we should be pro and for as a culture. He erased the certificate of debt, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them in him. That's why we can sing songs to the devil that say, don't tread on me. Ain't no devil going to tread on me. Why? Because Jesus canceled his ability to. He canceled every accusing word that our accuser could yield against us, could wield against his chosen people in your life. Which is why I love that quote from the movie Luther. So when the devil throws your sins in your face and declares that you, have death, you deserve death and hell, tell him this. I admit that I deserve death and hell. What of it? Come at me, bro. For I know one who suffered and made satisfaction on my behalf. His name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Where he is, I will be also. Suck on that, Satan. You can take your accusations and shove it. My, my record is dead, is clean. My debt is paid. It's gone. And guess what? Jesus calls me holy. Jesus calls me righteous. So yeah, that dumb, that dumb thing that I just did, guess what? It's already been paid for on the cross. And so I can turn and thank God for his forgiveness. And say, Lord, help me to change my mind. Help me to change my life. So that I may experience your hope, that I may experience your joy. That I may experience a flourishing life because I don't do, do those stupid things. Because there's now no condemnation for you who are in Christ Jesus. That is the power of the cross. And it also yields itself to a new conscience, a good conscience. So we're saying, 
we are brought into new life, having a, you know, and g- having a good conscience through, through our lives. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. He says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring, to, bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who were in the past were disobedient. But God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it, a few, that is eight people, were saved through water. Here it is. Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as a pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. And so this is the difference between the baptism of Jesus and the baptism, I'm sorry, the baptism of John and the baptism of Jesus. John's baptism was a a preparation. You know, y'all Jews, get ready. The Messiah is here. The Messiah is going to be, you know, coming, coming out of the shadows here any day now. You got to be ready for him, ready so that you can receive his words, so you can receive his wisdom, so that you can follow him even to death, so that you may love him and be cherished by him and know him and be known by him. Having this intimacy with Jesus, he's preparing the way. And Jesus's baptism is the, is the fruition of that. And that is the baptism in which we live in today. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is how you become a believer in Jesus Christ. First and foremost, you have, if you haven't made that proclamation of faith, you come and you proclaim that faith by being baptized. By proclaiming the, the, it's the outward symbol of the inward change. And so if you haven't come to faith in Jesus Christ yet and, pro, and proclaimed your faith in him through baptism, this is the way that he desires you to do this. He, he desires you to come to him so that you can experience the new life in Christ, so you can experience new, these, these joys in him. You can experience this abundant life with him. I said, baptism, new life, a good conscience, not being swayed and, and, and stuffed by the world because we want to live a life of metanoia saying, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Your way, you're smarter than I am, God. You're the one that created the world. I kind of think you know what you're doing. You're, you have greater and better wisdom than I could ever have. And so I'm going to change my mind and come into alignment with you. So living a life of alignment with Jesus. I even posted this, this last week, this, this quote by N.T. Wright. It said, if we keep reading the Bible and it doesn't disagree with us, we're probably reading it wrong. We need to change our mind, shift our thinking to come into alignment with God to experience this abundant life that we're talking about. And live a life of alignment with Him. How do we do that? So we align with God and fight the drift. I love this, this phrase, a, friend, a pastor friend of mine has been you know, talking about a lot, the fight the drift. Um, this is the power of discipleship. The, you know, the one another, aligning with God and fighting the drift. We do this together. This is discipleship. That's what aligning with God means. So first and foremost, this is God's call to you. If you have not aligned with God, pledged allegiance to Christ and him alone, our true King of Kings above all others, This is your opportunity to do that. Align with God. Come to faith. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus, his cross, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and this giving of the Holy Spirit. And come and be baptized. And if you haven't been baptized yet, we want to baptize you. We would love for you to proclaim your faith in that powerful way and receive the Holy Spirit. Be filled with him. This is the opportunity for a new beginning a new beginning for your life, a new trajectory, aligning with God and proclaiming that belief in him. And this is the gospel that we as Christians, as we as, as saints of God, this is the gospel that we proclaim to, the, to people around us. 
at our work environments, our friends and our family. We don't proclaim a gospel of a political figure or a political party. They can't save you. No one can save you from anything except for Jesus Christ. And so it may actually take you renouncing your political figure in order to pledge allegiance to the true king. Align with God and fight the drift. What does that mean? Let's look at uh, Colossians again, chapter 2, uh, but starting you know, going a little bit earlier. Verse 2. I want their hearts to be encouraged. This is talking about the church in Laodicea. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they may have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I am saying saying this so that no one will deceive you with arguments that sound reasonable. This is the drift we're talking about. For I may be for I may be absent in body, but I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see how well ordered you are in the strength of your faith in Christ. This is you, Paul is talking about. So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Be careful. Shift church, be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elements of the world rather than Christ. Don't be deceived, shift church, into being brought up into the worldly passions and religion of politics, the worldly religion of social media, and memes. It's pretty much what, you know, it is, you know, social media is is these days, memes and politics. Don't get caught up in that stuff. These things sound plausible. Don't be deceived by these arguments that sound reasonable and are not based in Christ. Don't be held captive. This is where that helmet of salvation comes in in the armor of God. You know, Ephesians 6, uh, this is the, uh, it, it's protecting your very source of knowledge, your source of salvation, which is the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of Christ in Scripture. This is the helmet protecting that, protecting the truth in your minds. Because guess what, y'all? There is truth and God is truth. He even says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to to the way, truth, and life except through me, except by me. To know Christ is to know truth. And to know truth is to know Christ. That is what we're talking. So the helmet protects that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians, uh, verse, uh, verse 5, I'm sorry, chapter 5. Uh, verses 6 through 11, if I can get to it. These pages are so small. <laughs> um, first, first Thessalonians 5, 6 through 11 says, So then let us not sleep like the rest, but let us stay awake and be self-controlled. Those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled and put on the armor of faith and love and the helmet of hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, awake or dead, you know, alive or dead, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up as you are already doing. Align with God. Fight the drift. Fight that, you know, the enemy that wants to pull you away. Well, why? What, what is the whole focus? What is the reason we align with God? What is the reason why we are immersed with him? What is the reason for believing in God and being baptized and, and being baptized in the Holy Spirit? What are we fighting for in our lives? Because we can get so tired of fighting, can't we? We can get so tired of trying. I'll keep trying. 
I feel like either I'm feeling or I feel like the world is just overwhelming me in every, in every sense of the word. Life is just overwhelming me. What are we fighting for? Intimacy. Depth. Richness of the relationship with God. Because that's what our faith is. It's an intimate relationship with our God. And it takes fighting for it. it takes, you have to fight for it. We have to fight for intimacy in every, in every relationship. Friendships and marriage. Just because you put a ring on it doesn't mean that you have to, you know, you can stop fighting for it. Actually, that's probably when you need to start fighting harder. Fighting for intimacy. I even had a conversation this week about that with, with a lady here in, here in town. She was talking about how her husband, well, her first husband, struggled greatly with pornography and which led to him into just a, a life of, of sin, which led to his destruction. Led, to him, led him to prison. And it started out with pornography. I, I told her, I was like, you know, the mental thought that I have in, in my mind is just this wandering eyes are indicative of a wandering heart. A heart that's not tied intimately to your spouse will go wandering to find it elsewhere. And so we have to fight. Fight for our heart. Fight for the heart of our spouses. Fight for, for God's heart for us. The same way we have, God is, he's there. We don't have to fight very hard. We don't have to look very far to find God. He's there all the time with us. As he said, he will never leave us nor forsake us. But what are, what are we fighting for when we're talking about our, our relationship with God? We're talking about those things that are cheap, those things that are easy, those things that are comfortable and convenient. Because those are the things, the greatest tools of the enemy that want to draw us away from Christ. Think about that. What are the things in, in our lives that have a, a, an ability to do that? They're cheap. They're easy. Just throw on Netflix. Just throw on this. Just load up that, that bowl of ice cream a little bit higher every night of the week. Just go on to social media and spend a few hours just scrolling. Where do you find life and intimacy with God and with your family? Because you have to fight for it. You can't just like hope that you'll have time. You've got to make time. You've got to fight for your family. You've got to fight for your relationship with God. You've got to fight for that which truly brings you life and intimacy with God and others. You've got to fight for the one another in the scripture, guys. It seems so easy. Oh, just love one another. Oh, love one another, serve one another. In the life of our church, this is probably the hardest thing, which is why he says it so much and says one another so much because it's hard. It takes intentionality. It takes a fight from getting distracted by all the, the cheap and easy, comfortable and convenient things that are available to us in our world, especially today. Especially today. Worldly thoughts and worldly ways. We got a metanoia. Change our minds. Get into alignment with God. Maybe for some of us, it's going to be taking deleting a lot of things. canceling subscriptions. We got to fight against, what did it say? The, 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 the things that want to take us away, the, the, the plausible arguments, the, the philosophies that sound reasonable, the old tapes of false identity. We got a metanoia. Right over those old tapes with new tapes of the truth. Don't get caught up in the sensationalism all around us in our world today. Live a life with Christ. And remember, we got to fight the enemy. And how do we fight the enemy? 
through prayer. We fight the enemy through being in God's presence. Because it's in God's presence that the, that the enemy and his angels can't tread on us. Live a life of intimacy with Jesus. Living this life of intimacy with Jesus is not easy, but it's good. Our God is not a tame God, but He is good. He is loving. He is kind. He's powerful. So as we engage in our lives, we got to make time. Make time with God to align our hearts, to align our minds, to align our spirits with him so that we can go where he wants us to go, to do what he wants us to do, to bless and serve one another in the church, to bless our coworkers on our job sites, to bless and not to curse, to bring love and flourishing and joy and peace not politics. So what is God calling you to do? What is, how is God stirring in your spirit? Ask God today, Lord, what does our life and our relationship look like? Let's have a DTR to find the relationship. Lord, help to define the relationship between us because I know your heart is good toward me. I know you want to live a life of intimacy with you, with me, Jesus. Draw me close into that. Jesus, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your spirit. And God, I pray right now in this moment that you would stir in our hearts, your heart for us, your words over us, your words in us, and your words through us your spirit in at work in, in our lives and in our church. Lord, we love you. We pray that you would do work here in our lives. Lead us on your mission, God, in peace. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.